0: Please be seated. Today's Old Testament scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12, which may be found at pages 780 to 781 of your pew Bible. But first, let me call upon the Holy Spirit for guidance. Please bow your head. Heavenly Father, in your word, you tell us that unless you build the house, the workers labor in vain. Therefore, in this time together, as we gather around your word, may we build this house. By your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear. And open our hearts that we might be transformed at the reading of your holy word. In your son's precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, Was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteousness one, my servant, make many to be accountable, righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. May God bless this reading of his holy word to our understanding. This the word the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks, Doug. It's always amazing to me as you read Isaiah 53, it was written 700 years before the birth of Christ, and yet how Christ fulfills it completely. And in Luke 22, Jesus lets us all know, as he quotes Isaiah 53, that it must be fulfilled in me that he was numbered among the transgressors, quoting verse 12 of Isaiah 53. Truly remarkable. 700 years before Christ, God has let us know what the Messiah came to do. He came to save us with his death on a cross. And of course, his victory over sin and death was won with his resurrection. And so this morning, we're going to look at the last resurrection appearance that we find in the gospel of John, the last gospel written in John chapter 21. But before we look at John 21, I want to give a little bit of background here. If you'll remember in John 20, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, and when she comes to the tomb, it's empty And so she's overwhelmed, and she goes and tells the disciples, and she tells them that the tomb is empty, and and so Peter and John have a foot race to the tomb to check it out, and and John subtly lets us know that he won the race. It's kind of funny to read that. (laughs) John wins the race, and Peter goes inside, and they see the grave clothes, the burial clothes of Jesus, and they're amazed, and they go home in amazement. And then that very night, behind locked doors, Jesus, the risen Jesus, appears before the disciples. But if you'll remember, Thomas... One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus originally appeared to those disciples behind those locked doors. And so the 11 remaining, or 10 remaining disciples, Judas has killed himself. You've got 11 remaining. Thomas is not there. So you've got 10 disciples. They all tell Thomas, Thomas, we saw the Lord. He's risen. But Thomas doesn't believe him. In fact, it's very interesting. Thomas says this, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Jesus knows that for Thomas, seeing is believing. And so, eight days later, Jesus appears again to the disciples behind locked doors. And this time, Thomas is with them. And Thomas is overwhelmed, and he gets to touch and see that Jesus really, in fact, has risen. And then Jesus says to Thomas, a word of blessing to all of us today. He says, have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's true of all of us today, isn't it? Blessed are those who believe, yet have not seen. We may not have seen the risen Jesus, and yet we believe, and and so we are blessed. We are blessed to know that our sins have been atoned for once and for all with Christ's death on a cross, and that His victory over sin and death is now ours as He rose again. Yes, we are blessed to know that because Jesus lives, we too shall live, that we have the assurance of eternal life if we simply believe in Him. And admittedly, our faith stands on the testimony of the earliest disciples. But we know that their testimony is true because, as history tells us, 10 of the 12 disciples all died as martyrs for their faith. They died for the proclamation that the risen Jesus alone is Lord. And the only logical explanation for the life of the disciples, the only logical explanation for our presence here today, is that Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead. I mean, if Jesus had simply died on a cross, he would have been like so many thousands of people who had been killed by the Roman government and crucified. It wasn't that he just died, it was that he rose again, and that's why we're here. That's why the disciples were so bold in their proclamation that the risen Jesus alone is Lord. And so we celebrate that today. As New Testament scholar R.C. Spoll points out, though, at the end of John's Gospel, chapter 1, it serves as a bit of an epilogue, it helps wrap up the end of the story. Because as R.C. Sproul points out, one of the big loose ends in the Gospel of John is the status of Peter, who dismally betrayed Jesus in his public denial. Well, remember the story of Peter, don't we? Peter, impetuous Peter. Peter, as you'll recall, was one of the leading disciples. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who, who do people say that I am? And some say, well, you're, you're Elijah or you're John the Baptist. And he looks at them, he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do we say that Jesus is today? Peter was quick to answer that question. He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds and says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isn't that amazing? Peter was the rock in which Jesus was going to build his church because. Peter got the right answer. He knew who Jesus was. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet, as we know the story of Peter, on the very night that Jesus is arrested and betrayed, Peter, the rock, denies Jesus three times. In fact, as we read in Matthew 26, Jesus tells Peter he's going to do this. In Matthew 26, 31 to 35, While the disciples are on the Mount of Olives, right before Jesus is betrayed, he tells them, he says, You you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And yet we know that that very night, before the rooster crowed, Peter denied Jesus three times. He denied knowing Jesus three times. Why would Peter deny knowing Jesus? Why do we often deny knowing Jesus. Franciscan priest and best-selling author Brennan Manning once wrote, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. As we all know, Jesus told us the second most important commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Right? And yet the reality is is that when the outside world looks at the church today, what they often see is not love, but rather judgment and hypocrisy. How can we make sure that our lives better reflect our faith? That what we say with our lips is true in the way that we live our lives? How can we make sure that we are more consistent in our living today? To find out, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, chapter 21 verses 1 through 19. It may be found on page 1154 of your Pew Bible, John 21, verses 1 through 19. Listen to the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got to the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish that you have just caught." So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was was not torn. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." Now none of the disciples dared ask, "Who are you?" They knew it was the Lord. You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. For your written word, we thank you that you inspired John to put pen to paper so that we might have it today. We also thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who guides us and leads us in all truth. We pray that by your Spirit, you would guide us now, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, what does Jesus mean by saying, do you love me more than these? What are the these, or who are the these that Jesus is talking about exactly? exactly. Is Jesus talking about the fish? I mean, after all, Peter was a fisherman. That, that was Peter's career before he ever met Jesus. And when Jesus does not immediately appear in Galilee, Peter does what he knows best. He says, I'm going fishing. reminds me of the story of the Presbyterian pastor who knew that Sunday was the day he wanted to go fishing rather than preach, and so he called an elder late Saturday night and he faked like he had laryngitis, I've come down with something, you're going to have to preach instead of me, and the elder graciously agreed to preach instead of the the minister, and so the minister snuck out and went fishing. Well, when St. Peter saw what this Presbyterian minister was doing, fishing and lying about it rather than preaching, St. Peter said, God, you can't allow this to happen, you must punish this Presbyterian minister, and God said, you know what, I'm on it, I'll do that. And so as the man's fishing, he begins to get this catch. And he catches the largest fish he's ever caught in his entire life. And Peter looks at God and says, God, I thought you were going to punish him. He says, oh, I did. I just allowed him to catch the biggest fish of his entire life. And this minister can't tell anybody about it. (laughs) Ironically, Peter and his other disciples, his other friends, aren't so fortunate. They aren't able to catch anything that night. In desperation, they hear this stranger. They're not sure who he is, but they tell he tells them to cast their nets on the other side, and so they do. And they begin to bring in this incredible amount of fish, which is very similar to the story that we find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter five, where where Jesus was first where Jesus first calls Peter. In Luke chapter five, you, you know the story. Uh, Jesus is out teaching, and he decides to get in Peter's boat to set off from shore a little bit so he can preach teach to the crowds. And after teaching to the crowds, he turns to Peter and he. He says, uh, Jesus, the carpenter, or itinerant preacher, tells this professional fisherman, hey, why don't you cast your net on the other side and you catch some fish? And, and Peter's like, uh, yes, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I, I'll let down the nets. Peter lets down the nets, and he begins to bring in the greatest haul he's ever had. In fact, it begins to, the fish are so numerous that it actually begins to break his nets. And Jesus, and Peter realizes that this Jesus who's been teaching and preaching is not only a teacher and a preacher, but he's also the Lord. And so in humility, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter recognizes that he's in the presence of God. And Peter says, "And Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. For the next three years, Peter walks with Jesus, and they help serve others and minister to others. He, he sees Jesus give sight to a blind man. He sees Jesus allow a lame man to walk. He, he even sees Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus has seen Peter do some incredible things. He's he's seen Jesus, the risen Jesus, even conquer the grave with his own resurrection. But now, now after all this that Peter has seen, he goes back to what he knows best. He goes back to fishing. Do you love me more than these, Jesus asks. Is Jesus talking about fish here? Is Jesus asking Peter if he loves him more than his career, more than his economic livelihood? That's a good question, isn't it? This is a good question for all of us to ask. Do we love Jesus more than our careers? Do we love Jesus more than our money, more than our economic livelihood? Do we love him more than these? Because as Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, we can't serve both God and money. We're either going to love the one and hate the other or we'll love one and hate the other. We cannot serve both God and money. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being rich in the Bible. We see there are a lot of wealthy people in the Bible. King King David and King Solomon were both very wealthy men. But as we look at the Scriptures, we can see that God can allow us to use our wealth for great kingdom purposes. That's one of the reasons our church is committed to being a church that gives above a tithe. We give actually 12% of our operating budget to local and global missions because we want our church to, to do the work of the kingdom both inside and outside the walls of this place. We know that we have been blessed to be a blessing, and so we want to be a generous church that gives to minister to those outside the walls of this place. As the apostle Paul tells us, the love of money, the love of money can be the root of all kinds of evil. And so we have to be careful to make sure that we always love God more than money. And one of the great antidotes to greed is giving. As we give, we hold loosely to the things of this world. Do you love me more than these? Jesus asked. Do we love God more than our money, more than our careers? Of course, the apostle Paul was a tent maker. If you'll remember, he was a tent maker in Corinth, and while he was doing uh, incredible ministry, he was also making tents. And, and, and as he was doing his own trade, he was getting allowed to connect with other people. In fact, the better question for us to begin to think about is, how might God use me in my career to help do the work of God's kingdom? How might God use me as a financial analyst to help minister to the needs of others? How might God use me as an orthodontist to help minister to the needs of others? How might God use me as a cattleman to help minister to the needs of others? How might God use me as a doctor in my medical practice to help minister to the needs of others? How might God use me as an attorney to be a light of God's love for the sake of his kingdom? How is God using you in your career today to help minister to the needs of others? Do you love me more than these And many scholars argue that these are not the fish. After all, everyone knows that Peter must love Jesus more than fish, right? (laughs) These scholars argue that these are actually the other disciples. Jesus wants to know if Peter loves him more than these other guys that he's been hanging out with. Does he love him more than these? Which seems like a bit of an odd question. I mean, after all, in John 13, 34 to 35, right after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, he says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus tells us the second most important commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. But if we think about this question just for a second, we realize that it's actually a pretty good question. Because in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment of all. And in answering that question, Jesus quotes the Shema that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4-5, through five, where we read... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Then Jesus says the second most important commandment is like it. He quotes Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 and says you are to love your neighbor as yourselves. Now the order of these commandments is very important for us to understand. Because we can't begin to love our neighbor with the unconditional love of God until we first allow God's love to flow through us to others. We've got to be connected to God. Because God is the source of all love, right? As we read in First John chapter four, verses 10 through 11. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another if we truly want to be able to love our neighbor as well, if we want to be able to love our spouse well, if we want to be able to love our our friends and our family members well, first we've got to center our hearts and minds around loving God, the source of love, so that God's love can flow through us to others. It's true that all of our relationships are a gift from God. A gift from God. But we can't truly love our neighbor with the unconditional love of God until we first center our hearts and minds around loving God. Do you love me more than these? Jesus asks Peter. It's a good question. Do we love God more than our family members, more than our neighbors, more than our coworkers? Because until we do, we are not going to really know how to love our family members with the unconditional love of God. As Jesus said in John 15, no greater love is there than this, than a man who's willing to die for his friends. If we really want to love our family members well, if we really want to love our neighbor well, we've got to center our hearts and minds around God's love the unconditional, sacrificial love that we find in Jesus Christ. Do you love me more than these? Now, some scholars believe that actually what Jesus is asking here is they're asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these other guys love me? Now, that's a really odd question. I mean, how could Peter possibly know if he loves Jesus more than the other disciples love Jesus? I mean, Peter can't know that, right? But at one time... Peter thought he did. Peter thought he did love Jesus more than the other disciples. As I read just a moment ago in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, on the very night that Jesus is betrayed, Jesus tells his disciples on the Mount of Olives, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed in the garden on the Mount of Olives, Peter thought that his love was better than anybody else's. He thought, well, I love Jesus more than anybody. Everyone else will fall away, but not me, Jesus. I'll be your right-hand man. I'm the rock. What, you're going to build your church, remember, Jesus? I'll I'll never deny you. And yet, just a few hours later, in the courtyard of the high priest, around a charcoal fire, Peter denies Jesus, denies knowing Jesus three times, and then the rooster crows, and Peter is reminded. This question, do you love me more than these? is really intended to help Peter realize and to remember the promise he once made, that Peter used to think that he loved Jesus more than the other disciples. Jesus is reminding Peter of his denial. That's why Jesus asks Peter three different times, do you love me? From the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied knowing Jesus three different times. In the courtyard of the high priest, around a charcoal fire, very interesting to note the Greek word, Greek term for charcoal fire here that we find that that, uh, John uses to describe the courtyard of the high priest where Peter denies Jesus three times. Only the term that charcoal fire appears is in our current text in John 21 verse 9. Peter was around a charcoal fire when he denied Jesus three times. Now he's around a charcoal fire where Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? The first two times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. On the third time, on the third time, we read that Peter is grieved. Peter is grieved because Jesus has to ask three different times, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. A third time, Jesus responds, feed my sheep. If you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. The grace of our text this morning is despite the fact that Peter has denied Jesus three times, despite the fact that Peter has proven to be unfaithful, Jesus still loves Peter. And he plans to use Peter for the work of his kingdom. Despite the fact that Peter has denied Jesus three different times, he's proven to be unfaithful, Jesus never gives up on Peter. And Jesus never gives up on us. Amen? The good news of our text is that despite our unfaithfulness, despite the ways that we have often denied Jesus with our lifestyle, God still wants to use us to do the work of his kingdom. Jesus tells us, and Peter, feed my sheep. So how do we do that exactly? How do we feed his sheep? Jesus doesn't give a lot of explanation in our text this morning, but we know from the three years that Peter was with Jesus, the way that you make some sheep, the way that you make followers, the way that you feed sheep is by getting together in Christ-centered community where you gather together for prayer, discussion of God's word, and service together. That's how Jesus made disciples. He got these 12 men. They centered around Christ, and they prayed together. They discussed God's word together, and they served others together. If you look at our bulletin this morning, you'll see that there are a myriad of opportunities for you to grow and to connect in your relationship with Jesus Christ through our church if you're in elementary school, you can get involved in our First Prez Kids Ministry, which has a Sunday school every Sunday from 9.45 to 10.45 or on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. We've got some great programming there. If you're a youth and junior high or middle school or high school, you can get involved in our A&O Youth Ministry that meets on Wednesday nights or meets Sunday mornings for Sunday school from 9.45 to 10.45. If you're a young college or career person, you can get involved in our GAP group that meets on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Or you can, if you're an adult, maybe you're a female or a male, you'd like to get in a Bible study. We've got lots of great Bible studies. You just talk to Sherry Lovato or, or Murray Gossett, and they'll help you find a place to connect. Because the reality is, as we think about sheep, sheep are communal creatures. Sheep are communal creatures. They move together in herds, and that is ultimately how they protect themselves, when a sheep is off by itself, it's susceptible to temptation. It's susceptible to destruction. When we're off by ourselves trying to live according to God's ways by ourselves, we'll never succeed. But together, we are much stronger. And together, we grow. And together, we help feed each other. Now, maybe you're already in a small group. Maybe you're in a Bible study or a triad, which is a same gender group of three or four uh, people. Maybe you're already in some, in some such a group. Then my question for you today is, who are you feeding? Who are you helping feed? Because if we want to become more consistent in our living, where our actions better reflect our faith, we need to be connected to a small group of Christians where we gather together for prayer, discussion of God's word, and service to others. It's in serving others that ultimately our lives are transformed. And if you look at our bulletin, you'll see that under serve, there's a myriad of ways to serve, whether that be on a mission trip, or we're going to have a local uh, mission trip here uh, on the July, June 29th to July 2nd with the four Amarillo churches, or you can get involved in our local friends and neighbor program, or you can simply serve here in the church. Our children's ministry can always use some volunteers, our high school as well. You can involve, serve as an usher here or a greeter, or you can get involved in our audio visual ministry. Nothing happens here on Sundays without the work of a lot of volunteers. Do you love me? Jesus asks us today. Do you love me more than these? Then if you do, feed my sheep. In response to God's amazing love, in the response to God, all that God has done for us, we must love him more than these. We must put Christ as a priority in our lives. And in response to that love, we need to feed others so they can experience Christ's love through us, so they can be transformed. As we gather together in Christ-centered community, as we pray together, as we... Discuss God's word together as we seek to serve others together. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you are a God who is with us and for us in Jesus Christ. We give you thanks, Lord, that despite our fallenness and our brokenness, you invite us to come to follow you and to feed your sheep. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room today would find a small group or a Bible study or a Sunday school class, some place to connect with other Christians in a smaller setting where we can gather together for prayer, discussion of your word, and service together. And I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room might find a way that they can serve others by using the gifts you've given them for ministry, knowing that despite our unfaithfulness, you call each one of us to come and follow you and to feed your sheep. Guide us, Lord, as we seek to feed your sheep today. In your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.